0: Welcome to Job Sharing and Beyond, the future of work podcast that goes beyond the traditional nine to five. I am Karen Tischler, speaker, consultant, and host of the show, where we hear from global experts every other week to discover innovative solutions and tips on how to remain a relevant employer in the future. Hello, everybody. I am very appreciative to welcome my guest today, Michelle Travis. Michelle is a law professor at the University of San Francisco School of Law, where she co-directs USF's Work Law and Justice Program. Michelle is an expert on employment discrimination law, gender stereotypes, and work-family integration. She is a founding member of the Work and Family Researchers Network and serves on the board of directors of the nonprofit Fathering Together. Michelle's latest book, Dads for Daughters, is a guide for engaging male allies in support of gender equity. Michelle has also authored an award-winning children's picture book, My Mom Has Two Jobs, which celebrates working moms. This episode focuses in particular how men and fathers can help the world to get to gender equality faster. Michelle provides insightful practical tips and examples on how to do this from her book research and advocacy work in general. Welcome to the show, Michelle.
1: Thank you. It's lovely to be here.
0: Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Now we have so many people from all over the world listening to us. Could you share with them a little bit where are you calling in from and a um, typical food item or a site in your area?
1: I'd love to. Well, I am in the beautiful Bay Area of Northern California right now. My work office is actually in San Francisco, but I've been working remotely from my home in San Mateo, which is just a little South of San Francisco. Um, And I would say that probably my favorite site in the Bay Area is our fog covered bridges. And it's probably the one and only thing I miss about not having a commute right now, which is being able to drive over the beautiful bridges, Um, but it's just a, a peaceful, lovely setting. Um, in the midst of uh, a very crazy, chaotic city. So um, it's it's a lovely place to be.
0: We started having fog again, and I was driving. So I, yes, I, it definitely feels like fall is here.
1: Yes, yes. There's something very magical about that time.
0: Now, could you share with our listeners a little bit about your professional background, please?
1: yes. So I'm a law professor at the University of San Francisco School of Law, where I co-direct our work law and justice program. In my former life, I was a practicing employment lawyer, uh, but now I basically research, teach, and write about employment discrimination law. And the focus of my work has really been on gender equity in the workplace and the ways that law and policy might support uh, better work family integration. Thank you so much. And
0: I looked at your website and there's one quote I just loved. So I'm going to quote you here. Um, You said, I want people to understand that equal employment opportunity requires flexible job design. My goal has been to develop theories for using employment discrimination law as a tool to increase workplace flexibility. It is the same approach I try to bring into the classroom, seeing the law as a tool to make social change, to advance justice and to
1: solve problems. So could you elaborate
0: a bit more on this? I just thought it was wonderful.
1: Yes, I, you know, I really became a lawyer first and a law professor second because I really do believe that the law has the potential to advance social justice and equality and human dignity. It's not just something that regulates conduct. And and I believe that most of my law students are in the classroom because they share that belief. Um, So in thinking particularly about how the law might advance these values in the workplace, I started really recognizing that our conventional workplace design is constructed around really supports a very narrow group of workers, right? Individuals who can work unlimited hours with no career breaks, with no health conditions, with no caregiving responsibilities. Um, we often refer to this as the ideal worker, right? Um, and that's a very narrow category of individuals, people who can live up to what I describe as the full-time FaceTime norm, um, which is what our workplace is constructed around. So the reality of course, we know is that our inflexible workplace design our our conventional workplace design and expectations disproportionately excludes, you know, negatively impacts um, certain categories of workers, including workers with significant caregiving responsibilities, which we know tend to still more often be women, um, individuals with disabilities, among others. So it turns out that employment discrimination law um, actually on its face on the books doesn't just prohibit intentional acts of prejudice, which is kind of often what we think about as the law's target. But employment discrimination law is also written to prohibit employers from using policies or practice that that appear neutral on their face, but have what's called a disparate impact on certain groups of workers. So the legal theory uh, that I've been working on with my law professor Hatt, trying to advance in courts is, that inflexible workplace design, right, workplaces that refuse to allow part-time work or flex time or job sharing or work from home or temporary leaves, that design is, you know, not just bad for business, but is actually a form of unlawful discrimination. Um, And to uh, create a workplace around an anti-discrimination norm, um, we need to have a flexible workplace design that's thoughtfully built around all of the workers that bring their whole selves to the workplace.
0: It's just so fascinating. So, you know, because it's like I'm, you, you might have seen on LinkedIn, I, I feel so strongly that often people think just because somebody is, quote unquote, not able, as you say, to, you know, work full time, that somehow they are less committed or or, or less able to work on a more complex or or, or challenging um, project, and it
1: couldn't be more from the truth, but still. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, and I think that is still um, an assumption that we have deeply ingrained and built in. um, And that is, you know, thinking about it through a legal lens is um, just one way to make the point that you're making and get it out there to more audiences to really see what it means when we say things like you have to be a full-time worker to be a worker right which which is arbitrary and and actually actually not true and ends up having a discriminatory effect
0: you should you know your background and at the same time you have also written two books, one of them, a children book called My Mom Has Two Jobs, and the other book is Dads for Daughters. So I'm really curious, you know, what made you decide to write these books?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, because it's a little bit um, off track for a law professor. Um, and I will say, well, I, I absolutely believe that the law has enormous potential for advancing gender equity in the workplace, which is, is where my heart is at. Um, you know, I've also realized uh, slowly, a little begrudgingly, that there's real limits to what the law can achieve on its own, right? And one of the reasons is that, of course, law can't really directly change or undo the underlying gender stereotypes upon which our workplaces are built, right? The stereotype, as you said, that, that working moms are not as committed to their careers, that part-time workers don't care, as much, you know, those kinds of gender stereotypes. Um, law can't directly get at that. So um working on this issue for quite a long time, I discovered that disrupting these gender stereotypes that fuel workplace inequality is going to require non-legal strategies as well. Um, and I also realized it's gonna require talking not just to, lawyers, judges, legislators, policymakers, which is who I typically talk to as a law professor, Um, and it's going to require talking not just to rooms full of mostly women, who who is who tends to show up for conversations about gender equity. Um, So I decided that there was really two very critical audiences that I needed to reach if I really wanted to help move the needle on workplace equality. And one of those audiences is children, right? We know that gender stereotypes get deeply ingrained at a very young age. Um, And we need to disrupt those um, as early as possible. So that led me to write the children's book, My Mom Has Two Jobs, and such a fun project for me. Um, In this book, it's kind of written through the perspective of children who are sharing how proud they are of their moms who are doing both the professional job and the job of being a mom. And I consciously refer to it as the job of being a mom. That's the two jobs, a professional job and a mom job. And, And the book really is just a celebration of, um, how kids should be really proud of um, having a mom that works both inside and outside of the home. Um, and it kind of reveals that women can bring the same kind of love and passion to both parts of their lives. Um, so that was the children's book. Um, and then of course the second critical audience that I realized I really needed to reach if I wanted to, um, The advancing uh, workplace equity was men, right? Because of course we know men hold a lot of positions of power, so they can make change happen a lot faster. Um, So I asked myself, you know, what's an effective way for me to invite men um, into the conversation to become stronger gender equity advocates? Um, You know, how do I meet men where they at? How do I find a personal connection? And I started reading research studies that showed that when a man becomes the father of a daughter, particularly a firstborn daughter, they tend to become less supportive of traditional gender roles, more supportive of anti-discrimination laws, more supportive of equal pay policies, uh, reproductive rights. Um, And these tendencies actually have concrete results. There's research showing that companies with CEOs who are dads of daughters have smaller gender pay gaps in their companies than companies led by other men. So I thought this was a good um, entry place to start an invitation and conversation with um, building towards building male allyship for gender equity, um, talking with dads of daughters. And so the book, Dads for Daughters, includes both stories of dads of daughters who are really having an impact um, advancing gender equity in their homes, their workplaces. Um, And it also tries to include some very practical advice about the ways that that men, most of whom are really interested in supporting gender equity, um, ways that they can take action when they might not know kind of how to start with such a daunting challenge.
0: I read um, many parts of your Dad's for Daughters book, and it was just so fascinating because as you said it is research and it is practical advice and and some of the stories i was just amazed how like having a daughter made such a difference not only in the life of that individual family but what they then subsequently created and so for example I really liked reading about the Dads for Daughters campaign. Could you share with our listeners a little bit more what that
1: is about? Yes, absolutely. Um, This is the Dads for Daughters campaign is one thing that I stumbled on um, out there and wanted to share because I think it's a really great example of um, a concrete action item that that men can take to advance gender equity, right? Once they're convinced they want to make the world better, um, and even if that's motivated by wanting to make it better for their daughters, that that's what brought them to the table. They're now seeing it in a bigger light, right? How can I make a difference? Dads for Daughters campaign is a great first step. Um, so it was actually created by a woman named Clarissa Farr, who runs or ran uh, a private girls' school in London, and she was educating these incredible young women. Sending them out to the workplace, and they were coming back to her with stories of gender bias, pay inequality, glass ceilings. And, you know, she realized, like me, that maybe the next step is to build male allyship to try to really address kind of the structural barriers um, that's going on in the workplace. Um, so it dawned on her that many of her students. Fathers were very prominent business leaders. Um, And so she started the initiative originally to engage the dads of her students um, to become more active in thinking about how do we advance gender equity in the workplace. And it actually became this worldwide movement. So it has two basic components to it the Dads for Daughters campaign. Um, And if for those of you who are interested, you can look it up on, on, on the internet, Dads for the number four daughters is how you'll find it. So the first component is really simple just to, to get men engaged in the conversation. She asked men who are fathers to just look around their own workplaces and ask themselves a couple of questions. Ask themselves, when you look at your workplace, do you think you would want your daughter working in that workplace? Do you think your daughter would feel comfortable in your work environment? And could you imagine your daughter becoming the CEO of your company? And she said, if any of those answers are no, it's time to do some work, right? It's time to roll up your sleeves and do some work. And the second part of the campaign was to get dad started on what that work might be. And the first step was really to have a better understanding of the gender biases in the workplace that we often don't even know are um, at play that are at play. So she teamed up with a company called Split Second Research and they developed what's called the Dads for Daughters Implicit Bias Test. It's free, available online to anybody. It's modeled after what many folks may have heard of Harvard University's Implicit Association Test known as the IAT. And it's just a quick test. It's a word association test. And what it helps reveal is how strongly a person automatically associates various attributes with males or females, right? So do we automatically associate words like leader or boss or engineer or decisive, right, with men? Or do we automatically associate words like caregiver or emotional, right, with women? Um, And the results uh, of these tests, if you've ever taken one of these implicit association tests, is that you know, virtually all of us have these um, automatic gender associations, Um, even those of us who are deeply committed to gender equity um, because our brains have been socialized to have these associations. The test, so there is is really revealing when you take it, you you realize um, sort of eye-opening that these automatic associations are affecting the way you think and perceive and act in the workplace, often without even really knowing it. Um, And the thing that I love most about this Dads for Daughters test, this campaign, is that at the end of the test, unlike a lot of these unimplicit bias tests, it actually has Um, a pledge that dads can take with concrete action items that they can select that they will try to work on to address some of the implicit associations that um, they were just revealed right in their test. So some of the action items that a dad might take and pledge to might be things like, I pledge to mentor a female colleague or I pledge to ensure that in the next meeting I'm in, I will not let men dominate the conversation. Um, Or I pledge to um, make sure that I'm not assuming women are less dedicated if they take family leave, right? So concrete, small doable steps um, that men can take into their workplace to really make a difference and have an impact. Kristen, over 10,000 people have taken this Dads for Daughters test now. So it's started with, you know, one idea and it's just ripple effects, um, which is, I think, really exciting.
0: It really is. It's, I just, you know, I love seeing this because sometimes people think, well, can I as one person make a difference and these are examples you just need to start and I will be sure to put in the show notes the links as well for people
1: who are interested in trying it out themselves in their organization. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah, I agree, I think one of the things that I learned by talking with dads of daughters in particular, but male allies generally um, is. The part of the, the difficulty in getting started um, in working on gender equity is this overwhelming sense of the magnitude of the problem, which is accurate, but that sense, as you said, of what can I as an individual do to make a difference? And what I loved about talking to these individual dads it really reveals how each small step by a lot of individuals can have a huge cumulative effect.
0: Yeah, it, and you know, and the other thing as I was reading through your book, um, as you were mentioning doing some tests, there is the other test or method is the flip it to test it method. And I just thought it was such a good idea. Can you talk a little bit about this?
1: Absolutely. So this is another one of these concrete action items, ways that male allies, but women as well, since we all have these automatic associations, can approach the workplace um, to try to disrupt the effect of gender biases and gender stereotypes right which we know are are automatically they're there they're hard to see or even recognize so the flip it to tested method was created by the fabulous kristen pressner um and it's a technique um thought process technique that we can bring into the workplace to help the, disrupt these gender stereotypes so what what, what flip it to test it means is whenever you find yourself Um, reacting to someone or um, taking some action, right? Or making a decision about someone. Um, If you can mentally reverse a gender comparison in your mind to see basically, would I be having the same reaction? Would I be making the same decision? Would I be acting in the same way? if the person I'm dealing with was of the opposite gender. So for example, let's say a woman asks a male leader for a raise, right? The reaction automatically might be, wow, this woman seems very aggressive. Um, it's an aggressive thing to do. Uh, I don't think she really needs more money because she has a spouse, right? That's what like the reaction of an automatic gender stereotypes, kicking in without thinking, right? Flip it to tested would say, take a pause and ask yourself, if a man just asked me for a raise, would my reaction be the same? And it can help you sort of realize, well, maybe part of my reaction was based on some biases. If a man had asked me for a raise, I might have thought, wow, what a great self-advocate, right? This person has leadership potential, um, and maybe they need more money because they have a family to support, right? Um, And by doing that immediate um, gender comparison reversal in your mind, it's a really good way to reveal what's often made hidden, these effects of biases, and that's how we can disrupt them, right, we have to see them to disrupt them. Um, so I think it's a, a fabulous tool, um, easy again, concrete, something that's small steps in individual interactions, but cumulatively can make a really big impact in our workplace.
0: Uh, yeah, it i i just really love you know that idea because it really will reveal so many you know stereotypes and like i i happen to be german and so recently in germany there was actually a book written about specifically this taking typical questions that women were asked and then literally going out and asking men these very questions and then recording the reactions and just reading it at like on a neutral basis makes one think how you know stereotyped this is so yeah
1: I love that, right? If, would you ask the same question to a man and if we say that aloud, how sort of That's how we reveal yeah. what's on under the surface. Um, that's a fantastic endeavor. Um, sounds like something everyone should read.
0: Yeah. So now in your book, you also talk about flexible work. And obviously, I'm a big proponent of flexible work. And you talk about the importance of paternity leave and provided some great examples of dads who became flexible work champions.
1: Can you share some more? Yes. So I very much believe that we will never achieve gender equity in our workplace if we don't get men's sustained involvement in caregiving at home. Um, So it's it's not the only thing that we need to achieve workplace equity, but it is a necessary component in my mind. So, you know, for me thinking about how do we get men to actually take family leave, if in the United States you're lucky enough to have it, um, to use flexible work arrangements to decide I'm gonna work from home, right? And it's essential because men using these and demanding these kinds of workplace flexibility and leaves is what we need to destigmatize it, right? And to ensure that it it becomes a norm, that it becomes um, not a mommy track um, and that it becomes a natural part of workplace design. Um, And we know that women who have equal partners at home are more successful at work, right? Period. Full stop. Um, We also know that fathers who are equal partners at home are modeling gender equity for their kids. They're modeling it for their male colleagues at work. Um, When men take paternity leave, uh, so many great benefits flow from that. It reduces Depression and illness for new moms. Um, it supports the well-being of children. Um, it creates a loyalty to the workplace. Um, men who take leave come back um, much more loyal and long become long-term, less turnover in the workplace. So all of these things are why it makes it critical. So how, um, how can men do this? Well, in the book, as, as, as you noted, I talked with a couple of dads, dads of daughters who Um, took on this uh, role of saying, not only am I going to um, use the flexible work and paternity leave, I'm going to become an advocate for it. Um, And Alexis Ohanian is probably the most famous example, the husband of the phenomenal Serena Williams um, is a great example. And what he did though is something that anyone can do. Um, He first took his full paternity leave that was offered to him every single day of it. And he did it loudly, openly, proudly, right? He let everyone know, I am taking my full paternity leave and I am not going to be in contact during that time. Um, That's a leadership step that any man in the workplace can take if you're lucky enough to have paternity leave, which we can talk about that later. Um, He talked about it openly. He posted about it right um, on LinkedIn and other dads that aren't as famous as Alexis Ohanian are doing really important gender equity work when they post on LinkedIn, right? Their business uh, site, I'm on paternity leave. Here's a picture of me and my child and goodbye, I will see you in 12 weeks. Um, That does huge gender equity work. Um, The other thing that Alexis Ohanian did which other dads can do as well is he openly addressed what he called his career fear. That's his phrase, his career fear, which is very real, right? Um, Men actually do experience stigma in the workplace currently for taking paternity leave, for using flexible work options. And until we address that openly, um, until we address that that stigma and the, the negative consequences that men perceive and actually often do uh, result in when they take leave, um, that it might put them at a disadvantage for a promotion, etc. Until so we actually talk about that openly, it makes it very hard for men to take and become advocates of um, flexible workplace. And Alexis Hanyan did it. He said, I had career fear. I was terrified to do this of what it would happen to my career, but I did it and I came out the other end and it was worth every day of investment. Um, So those steps are to me, one of um, the core forms of male allyship for gender equity that not only is gonna help women in the workplace, but men report that it has helped them as well, um, most men say I love this time I would never change it and look back it was um, it allowed them to become confident and co equal partners at home for the long term. Um, so that, that is uh, something another thing that's bigger than just taking an online test, but definitely concretely something that can have a huge impact. Thank you so much for
0: sharing. I mean, I'm in full agreement. It's just, you know, talking about it loudly and really using every day because, you know, we look at different countries and some countries on a federal basis indeed have much longer paternity leave. But if from a cultural perspective, it isn't typical to actually take the full leave, then it really doesn't help. It needs to be a cultural shift. And yes. So, so now, you know, this is a perfect segue to my next question because you are a board member of Fathering Together. And so I'm curious if you, you know, if you could share with um our listeners what is this organization about and why did you decide to become a board member?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, right? When you look at me as a working mom of two daughters who is an advocate of women's workplace equality, why am I sitting on the board of a nonprofit called Fathering Together, which is basically creating a global support system for men to become engaged caregivers, right? Why? Uh, And the answer again, comes back to my really deep belief now that engaged fatherhood is necessary for achieving gender equity. And, and not just in the workplace, um, but also in our homes, and our communities, and our governments. Um, so I realized that creating cross-gender partnerships with men is really a crucial component of breaking down gender stereotypes, gender inequality. Um, and the gender stereotypes are things that, that limit not just women, Um, But also I realized they're limiting to men, many of whom want to be engaged caregivers in a society that tells them that's not their role. Um, And so it has been a fabulous opportunity to work with this nonprofit. Um, You can find them fatheringtogether.org that uses community building, education, storytelling. It it shares stories of dads who are, are engaged caregivers to really support and normalize the idea that dads provide care. Um, And they do it through things like one-on-one dad coaching. They have small support chat groups, and they also do organizational trainings. They go into companies um, and talk about the importance of thinking about men as caregivers and working parents as well, and what does it mean to, to create a workplace that supports Um, all of our caregiving workers. So it's been a a fantastic opportunity to to talk to and build relationships that I wouldn't normally have uh, been able to make outside of that context. Thank you.
0: So I will be sure to put the link for fathering together into the show notes as well. So now one Other thing I saw that you recently posted on LinkedIn that you shared somebody's post where it is putting fathers and dads on one's resume. Could you like, you know, talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, absolutely. So I would love to see hashtag fatherhood on the resume go viral. Um, and, And what that means, fatherhood on the resume, is it's encouraging men to actually put on their resume or in their bio line on their LinkedIn biography or um, any other place where they're describing themselves, you know, at a, at a conversation someone, someone gives their, their bio, et cetera, um, to have dad listed um, as part of their um, core Um, work professional biography, right? Fatherhood on the resume in your LinkedIn bio. And and why am I such an advocate for this small but enormously powerful move? Um, Again, I think this is an incredibly important way to normalize dads as caregivers, which is so many benefits. Um, And I think in particular, you know, writing dad on your resume in your LinkedIn bio um, has positive effects in actually two directions. Um, One direction is I think that it it highlights for men and employers um, that the skills that men are building in the workplace, leadership skills, project management skills, um, those skills are transferable to the home, right? I think men can feel very empowered as caregivers if they know all these amazing skills I have in the workplace are actually skills that I can bring to being a fantastic engaged father. Um, And the reverse direction it helps as well. I think it also, Will help us start showing that we, as um, as an as a labor market, as a community as a society, value the skills that we learn as parents at home, and that the skills we're learning at home are actually transferable into the workplace. Right? Um, being a parent is probably the best project management training ground uh, imaginable. And so, if we're starting to put it on the resume, we'll also realize, oh, when you are at home providing care. Um, you're building skills that will help you be a stronger leader, um, a more empathetic leader, um, a, a more organized leader in the workplace. And, and long-term, I think that will also um, help um, things like when people take uh, gaps from the workplace to for caregiving leaves, right, which tends to be women more often than men here now, yet. Um, and then they have this, you know, what's viewed as often like this resume gap. Right? Why were you out of the workforce for these two years? But if we're actually saying the work that you do as a parent builds skills that are transferable, right, then suddenly it's a training ground as opposed to a resume gap. Um, And the last thing I just want to say is shout out to a fantastic organization called Hey Mama. Um, They started the hashtag motherhood on the resume for all of the same reasons. And I think it's as important, if not more so, to have dads putting it on their resume as well. Thank you so
0: much because, you know, I I love this because I'm such a big proponent of transferable skills, both directions, and and it's it's surprising. You know, I was a stay-at-home mom myself for 11 years, but it really wasn't until I did all my research work that I understood better what skills I truly learned that transfer that are transferable, because often what you just said, it is sort of the gap narrative and, and you now downplays that. And so when, you know, as you said, the organization, Hey Mama, and I've also talked to, you know, other organizations around the world who are emphasizing that transferable skills so that in the long term, it is going, in my mind, it is a, like a module within somebody's resume as a, you know, as a practical course of leadership training. And, and then I think that then also helps the whole, you know, workplace because it allows people to more easily come in and out and the flexibility and making organizations realize if somebody works part-time, they can transfer what they just practice in the afternoon, maybe into the you know, professional job in the morning, and vice versa.
1: Yeah, oh, I could not agree more. I think that is exactly right. Um, and I love that you are, are are shifting that narrative and building that, you know, new narrative. Um, I love the phrase that you just used to think about, um, you know, parenting um, period of time as a just a module is the phrase she said love that module i'm gonna i'm gonna steal that from you module in your resume that's you know um training leadership training ground right here's my training module my uh, full-time parenting and um that's i think where we need to head um that's the direction we need to head head toward absolutely
0: yeah so you know i could talk with you forever but as we're coming towards the end of our conversation i want to make sure that, you know, is there anything that we haven't addressed yet that you would like
1: to share with our listeners? Yes, thank you for that question. You know, I think we haven't talked about kind of what this all means in the context of the global pandemic, um, in the context of COVID. And, you know, it's been called the first she session, as you've probably heard, right, the first um, time of recession has, has fallen disproportionately on women. Um, but the, just the last thing I wanted to share is in thinking about all the things we've talked about, I am hoping that there's some silver linings from the pandemic, which has otherwise, you know, been been devastating for so many people, so many families, so many women workers. Um, but the opportunity that I'm hoping we'll see is um, first, you know, our our kind of It has shaken up our idea of a conventional workplace design. Um, We were forced to experiment, and in many ways we saw that some of these experiments actually work. Like People can be committed workers and work remotely. People can have flexible hours and uh, be just as productive. Um, And I think it also revealed a lot of the unpaid caregiving labor that was so invisible to so many before, and by making that visible at the same time we are experimenting with workplace design, it gives us a real opportunity to start thinking about true workplace redesign around workers who are caregivers, women and men. Um, So I would just encourage folks to use this particular moment to think about, um, you know, unapologetically demanding a redesign of a workplace to fit our lives, all of our lives, women, men, parents, caregivers, um, all of us, um, in a way that we haven't had an opening to do that before. Um, so I just wanted to share that. Thank you so much. And now, um, Michelle,
0: where can people find you on social media?
1: Yes. So my website is Michelle Travel. Dot .net. You can also find me on LinkedIn, um, just under Michelle Travis. That's probably the best place. I'm on Twitter as well, but I I really find myself working on LinkedIn as much. So LinkedIn, Michelle Travis, and website MichelleTravis.net. Travis.net are the best places to find me.
0: Thank you so much, and thank you so
1: much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you. It was a fantastic conversation, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about these um, important issues. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the
0: show. We hope you gained valuable insights and new ideas. To keep listening to future episodes, please head over to iTunes or your favorite player and subscribe and give it a rating. We would very much appreciate a review and for you to share it on social media so more people can start innovating in how they offer employment. Until the next time, goodbye.